Good morning, everybody, and once again, welcome out as we are continuing the series we've been in now for several weeks uh, that we have been calling the Everyday Revolution. And of course, if, uh, if, if you're just joining us or you missed the past couple of weeks, uh, what it is that we've been talking about, just to kind of sort of catch you up to speed, is we've been looking together at several passages in the New Testament uh, that are sometimes referred to as the household codes. And so, and so, like I said, if you've been with us here, you might remember what we've been saying. As we've been saying that the household codes, what that refers to, just kind of as a quick recap, we said that actually refers to several different passages that are contained in the New Testament of the Bible. And we said that they're actually kind of found scattered all throughout the New Testament. So I'll just give you again a quick picture of the different places where you'll find the different household codes through the New Testament in the Bible. And, uh, and of course, if you want to study these on your own, we would actually encourage you to do that. Uh, but these are the passages that we're sort of studying together as we're journeying through this series. And the reason, once again, that we're looking at the household codes is because the one thing that all of these passages have in common is that all of them speak to kind of the everyday practical day-in, day-out relationships, right? And so in the household codes, for example, it covers things like marriage, talks about the marriage relationship, uh, it talks about the family, it talks about parenting, uh, parenthood, how parents relate to children, how children relate to parents, that's found in the household codes. It actually speaks to generational considerations. It actually even goes as far to talk about gender roles and how those things play out in a society. And so again, what we're doing in this series as we're kind of journeying through this together, we said that what we're doing is we're really just asking one very simple question, uh, but it's actually, it's actually has some very profound implications. We said, here's the question that we're looking at together, real simple, is does God have an ideal for our everyday relationships? So that's what we were asking. We're saying, does God, does God have an ideal for the way that we interact in our day-to-day relationships? So in other words, does God have an ideal for marriage, uh, for the way that we are to interact with, the way that we're to view, the way that husbands and wives are to uh, interact with each other in, in marriage. Does God have an ideal for parenting? How parents relate to children, how children relate to their parents. Does God have an ideal for, for uh, generational issues of how younger and older generations invest and interact with each other? Uh, does God have an ideal for, for gender roles and, and how that kind of functions in a society and how that functions, you know, kind of, kind of in, a, in a culture? Does God have an ideal for these things? Or is it simply that every culture defines these things in their own terms, right? Is it just that every culture gets to pick what they think marriage should be? Is it that every culture just gets to decide how gender roles work, what parenting should look like in that culture? Or is there a transcendent ideal that comes from God that transcends history and transcends culture uh, as it relates to these everyday relationships? That's kind of the question that we're investigating together. And so, so far what we've done... Again, if you've been with us, you might remember over the past four weeks, we actually started looking at the first uh, relationship in the household codes. We started talking about marriage. And so so the past four weeks, we talked about marriage. We talked to husbands. We talked to wives. Last week, we actually had a chance to talk to singles as well. We kind of looked at, man, what does the Bible say about approaching these relationships in, in, in kind of this area of life? And so we got a chance to do that. By the way, if you missed those previous conversations, I would encourage you, you can catch up on all of that. Uh, if you go to our website, which is in your program, you can either download uh, the, the video or you can listen to the audio. You can subscribe to the podcast. All of that is for free and is for you. And we, of course, would encourage you to do that. But today what we're going to do is we're going to switch gears a little bit. And we want to enter into the next conversation, that we've, uh, the next uh, relationship that we often find in household codes. And that is this. We're going to talk about parents and children. Okay, so this is what we're going to be focusing on now probably for the next three weeks is this idea of parents and children. Uh, how, what do the household codes, what does the Bible say about parenting and about how parents should interact with children? And what does the Bible say about children and how they should interact and, and how, they should, uh, how they should work with their parents? We're going to talk about this. Now, this probably goes without saying, but I'll mention it. This conversation applies and is relevant to every person in this room. And the reason that's the case is because all of us fall into both or one of these categories, right? And so, for example, parenting. Many of us in this room are parents or we aspire to be parents. And so you might be a person right now, maybe you're single or maybe you're married without kids, but one day you hope to have kids. And if that's the case, then, then our conversation is going to be really relevant to you. I, I kind of view it as like a down payment in advance. Uh, this is something that you can keep in the back of your mind and hopefully will be helpful for you as you aspire to that. Maybe you're a parent right now. Maybe you have little kids, right? So that's actually where me and my wife are. So my wife and I, we have three little kids. We have a seven and a six-year-old and we have a one-year-old. And so we're kind of in the thick of little kid parenting right now. Maybe you're in that, that phase. And if you are, uh, this conversation applies to you. Maybe you have older kids, right? Maybe your kids are pretty 
preteens or teens or, you know, the kind of the adolescent phase, which, by the way, if that's the case, we pray for you every day, right? And, uh, but maybe you're in that phase, and, and obviously this is going to be applicable to you as well. Maybe you have kids that are grown, and maybe they're out of the house, or maybe you have kids that are grown, and they're not out of the house, but you wish they were out of the house, right? And so this conversation applies to you um, as well, obviously. And, and even if you're not a parent, this conversation is still extremely relevant to you because all of us, the one thing every single one of us have in common is that all of us fall in this category. We're all children, right? And whether you're a child that lives at home and you're in the developmental years under the roof of your parents or if you're a grown child and your parents are now older or even if you're a child and your parents are deceased or your guardians are deceased, I think that this whole conversation is relevant to every single person in this room, right? And so we're going to be kind of navigating through this. We're going to be asking the question, man, what is God's ideal uh, kind of for this relationship, all right? So, so where do we start on something like this? Well, I think the best place for us to go is if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them with me? And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. So we're going to start diving in. So if you've got your Bibles, take them with me. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. So go ahead and open your Bibles or open your Bible app or whatever it is and get to Ephesians 6. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, that's no problem whatsoever. We actually have some Bibles for you. You can grab one of those black Bibles that's under the chairs uh, uh, in front of you or beneath you, and you can turn to page 816. That's where you'll find Ephesians chapter 6. So go ahead and get there. And then, of course, let me just mention this. We, we say this all the time, but I think it's, it's real important, is that if you don't own a Bible, so if you're a guest with us today and you just don't have a Bible of your own, man, we want you to have a Bible. We really think it's important that you have one. And so you can just take it. You can take it with you, write your name in it, make it a gift from us to you, and uh, you can go home and read that. We'd encourage you to do that. All right, so Ephesians 6. And of course, before we jump in and we look at uh, what the Bible has to say uh, as, it regards, as it relates to parents and children, why don't we just pause for a moment and let's go talk to our Heavenly Father. Let's ask Him to help us uh, as we kind of navigate this conversation together. So would you join me? We'll talk to God together. Yeah, God, I just want to say thanks for um, the absolute privilege it is for us to be able to gather together here today to hear from you. And that, that's what we're here for. You know, we don't want to hear... We don't want to hear the opinions of a person. Uh, we're, not, we're not here to conjecture what we think things ought to be, Father. We, we desperately want to hear from you. And, uh, and so, God, as it relates to this topic of parenting and children, uh, Father, I think that you have all wisdom in this, in this department. Uh, the Bible calls you our heavenly Father. And so I pray that you would, uh, in the course of this conversation, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, uh, give us receptive hearts. And God, I want to pray that you would help me to be clear. Help me to be accurate to what you're saying. And, uh, and Father, we just want to ask these things, and uh, we pray this with anticipation that you'll answer. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to look at Ephesians 6, and, um, and then what I want to do is I want to look at the other household. So there's actually two household codes that speak to this relationship of parents and children. I want to look at both of them. All right, so we'll start in Ephesians 6. So if you've got your Bibles, let's take a look. We'll start in verse 1. And I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I'm going to read the other household code, and then we'll come back and we'll make some observations. All right, so Ephesians 6, here it is. The Apostle Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it might go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. He goes on, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Okay, so pretty, pretty brief. Uh, that is the first household code on parents and children. Let me show you the second one. Okay, the second one is in the book of Colossians. You don't need to flip over there. I'll just show it to you. I'll put it on the screen. Very brief. Here's what it says. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. All right, that's it. Th those are the two household codes that we have as it relates to parents and children in the New Testament. And listen, I know at first glance, those might seem very short, and it might seem like that those are, man, that those are real brief and real quick. But here's the thing. When you look into these passages more deeply and you study them more deeply, which I've had the opportunity to do over the past few weeks, you will find that these short passages are loaded, loaded with extremely uh, life-changing principles as it relates to both parenting and the way that children relate to parents. In fact, it's so loaded that I actually want to spend the next three weeks looking at these two passages, all right? And so, so here's kind of the game plan. My hope is this week and next week, I want to speak specifically to parents. So what, is this, what do these passages have to speak about parenting? And then the third week, I want to talk specifically about children and what does it look like for children to honor their parents at every stage in the game? 
right? Whether you're at home with your parents or whether you're out of the home and you have your own home and your parents are older or maybe your parents are deceased or or maybe your parents weren't involved or maybe only one parent was involved or maybe only had a guardian. What does it look like to honor our parents? And and I'm real excited about that conversation, by the way. It's in a couple weeks and you're gonna have to come back for that. But but today I wanna really focus in on parenting and and what does that kind of look like and what are the household codes teaching us in that? And so I think maybe as we talk about this, here would be a good place to start. So let me ask you a question, and this is a question for everybody, but specifically for the parents, but it's for everybody, but specifically the parents. Here's a question I want you to think about as we kind of begin. What is success in parenting? So I just want you to think about this for a minute, and you don't need to answer me out loud, but I just want you to think about this. What is success in parenting? All right, like what's the goal? Uh, What is the the end result that that you're striving towards? As it relates to parenting, if you're a parent in this room, what is the picture in your mind that you have for your child? All right, what is the goal that you have? Now, now this, this, of course, it probably doesn't, I probably don't need to explain this too much. This is a really important question. And the reason this is a really important question is because how you define success in parenting will, will directly affect your priorities in parenting right? It's going to affect the way you approach parenting, how you define success. And I think the truth is, for some of you that are parents, when I say, what is the definition of success in parenting? Some of you would say, honestly, I don't know. I guess I really never thought about that before. I hadn't put, put much thought into it. But here's what I believe. I believe whether you know it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, whether it's conscious or it's subconscious, I believe that every single one of us that are parents, or even if you're not parents, we have an idea of what we think the goal is. We have a vision in our mind of what we think that looks like. And it's important for us to understand that because like I said, how we define success in parenting is going to kind of dictate our priorities and how we approach it, right? So for the sake of our conversation, maybe just to kind of help us out, let me give you four common views of success in our culture today as it relates to parenting, all right? So let me just give you four common ones. In our culture today, here's a couple common ways that people define success in parenting. Here's the first one. Uh, some parents would say this, here's success. I want my child to be successful. Right? I want my child to be successful. Now, of course, when I say successful, I think you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about success as our culture tends to define success, right? And, and so, so basically, I want my child to be socially well-adjusted. Uh, I want my child to have a good education. I want my child to uh, get a high-paying job so they can enjoy uh, a, a kind of a high quality of life. And for many people, I think that, that, you know, consciously or subconsciously, this is what we would say is the goal of parenting. Now, if this is how you define success in parenting, that I want my kid to be successful as our culture defines success, well, that's going to that's gonna affect the way that you approach parenting, right? And so, for example, our culture tells us if you want to have a successful child, you need to give them well-rounded experiences, so you need to get them involved in as many social clubs as you can, as many sports programs as you can. And so you need to kind of cart them around to these different things because you don't want them to be behind. And so you want to kind of give them this well-rounded experience. And so if you view this as a priority, that's going to change the way you, that, that you kind of approach parenting, right? Uh, if you view this as a priority, you're going to highly value things like education, right? And so you're going to say, man, I want my kid to get in the best school I want my kid to have the best education so they have the best opportunities. They can get accepted to the best colleges. They can pursue a career path that's going to make them the most amount of money. And for many of us, we would say that, man, if my, if my child is socially well-adjusted and, and they live in a comfortable financial kind of you know, place, then that's what success is. And like I said, I think for many people in our society, whether consciously or unconsciously, this tends to be the way that we define success in parenting. That, man, if my kid grows up and they're well-adjusted and they make a bunch of money and they can have a high quality of living, then that is the goal, right? Here's another one, another kind of view of success in our culture and parenting. Some people would say this. They'd say, the goal that I have is that I want my child to be themselves. That's what I want more than anything. I just want my child to be myself. I don't care if they make a lot of money. I don't care if they graduate from college. I just really care that they, that they feel the freedom to be themselves. And again, if this is the priority or this is the, the, the definition of success you have, then that's going to affect the way that you approach parenthood, right? And so these kind of parents will say, well, I don't want to tell my kid what they should or should not think. I don't want to tell them what they should or should not do. I don't want to tell them what they should or should should not believe. I just want to let them decide those things for themselves, and then I just want to be there to nurture them. And I want to allow them to be free to express themselves and be themselves, however that is that, that they want to do that, right? That's a very common definition of success of parenting in our culture. Here's another one. 
Some parents would say this. They would say success is, I just want my child to be happy. That's it. That's it. And again, I don't care if, if they make a ton of money. I don't care. When all the kind. I just want them to be happy. And so whatever it is that makes them happy, I want to help them discover that. I want to help them pursue that. I want to help them find that because the, the thing I want the most is I just want my child to be happy. And that's actually a, 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 a kind of one of the popular definitions of success we see in parenting today as well. I'll give you one more. I could give you more. I'll give you one more. This last one is one I don't think that uh, any parent would ever vocalize, but it actually is a very real thing. And that's this. Some parents would say, my, my definition is this. I want my child to make me happy. But I want my kid to make me happy. And so I have a, a definition of what I think, a vision of where I think they should be. I have an expectation on them. And so my, what I want for my kids, I want them to make me proud. I want them to kind of uh, fulfill the vision that I have for them, fulfill the expectations that I have for them. And like I said, I don't think a lot of parents are going to vocalize this one. Uh, but this is a real priority that parents have in, uh, in parenting. Now, here's the thing about all of these, okay? For some of us, we might be looking at that. We might be saying, well, some of those sound really good. And, and the reality is that some of these things are really good, right? I mean, like, like for example, is it a bad thing if our kids are successful and they, and they make money and they have a good education? Like, is that a bad thing? No, that's not a, that's not a bad thing. Oh, is it bad if our kids feel the freedom to be themselves? That's a wonderful thing if our kids feel the freedom to be themselves. Is it bad if our kids are happy or they make us proud? No, those are good things. But here, here's the real question. Are those the primary goals that we need to be focusing on in parenting? And, and here's the better question. Not just are these good ideas and are these good goals. The better question is this. Are these God's goals? Are these God's goals? Are these God's priorities in parenting? Because here's the thing. Right? For those of us who follow Jesus, and I know that not everyone in this room follows Jesus. Some of us are still investigating that. And by the way, if you're still investigating what you think about Jesus, we count it an honor and a privilege that you would let us be part of that investigation. But for those of us who follow Jesus, I think the primary concern that we should have in parenthood and in every area of life is, is it God, what is God's idea? Not, not what do I think is a good goal, not what does our culture say is a good goal. What, is the, what does God say is the way to approach these things? I love what uh, Psalm 127 says. Psalm 127 is a psalm that's all about parenting and about the family, and I like how it starts. Uh, the psalmist says this. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builder's labor is in vain. And I love that because this is a principle that applies to the family. I think, I think what God is saying is unless, unless, we, unless we figure out what God's design is for the household, for parenting, for children, for those things, the builder's labor is in vain. So the question we need to be asking then is what is God's idea? What is God's picture? What is God's view of success in parenthood, right? And so let me give you, as we kind of dive in today, I want to give you my one-sentence definition of what I think the Bible teaches is God's definition of success in parenthood, all right? One simple sentence. We'll spend the rest of our time kind of unpacking that. But let me just show you real quick that before I give you that one sentence, that it is characteristically different than these, different, than these views of success that we tend to see. What we're about to see is that the Bible's definition of success in parenthood is not primarily concerned with the desire that I want my child to be successful. Now, once again, it's not a bad thing if, if our children achieve success and have education and those type of things. But here's what you know, and I also know as well, that you can have everything that this world has to offer, and you can still be a totally miserable person. Lots of people do it, right? It's not that it's a bad thing or, or, or a negative thing to, to, to accrue for yourself some of these things, but that's not the key to finding fulfillment in this life. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? So we're gonna find that the Bible says, man, that's, that's actually not the priority in parenting. We're also gonna find the Bible's definition of success is not primarily concerned with the desire for my child to be themselves. As a matter of fact, what we're going to find is that the Bible says that God, because he's the creator of all humanity, that the thing we need to be primarily concerned with is what is God's desires for us? How has God designed us? And what does it look like to fulfill those things? Because God loves us and because he made us and true freedom is found in living out the created intent as God has designed us. And in the same way, we're also going to find that the Bible's definition of success in parenting is not primarily concerned with making my child happy, right? Because so, here's what all of us know. Man, happiness, we all know this, happiness is a circumstantial, right? And what makes me happy right now might not make me happy in three years. And let's be real honest. What makes, someone ha what makes our kids happy in certain seasons of their life can be destructive to them. 
mean, right now, the things that make my kids happy, if I just kept giving them the things that make them, they would die. I mean, literally, I would, they, would, they would die of, you know, sugar overdose because that would be all that they want. And so, so it's not primarily concerned with, with happiness. And we're also going to find the definition of success in parenting in the Bible is not primarily concerned with the desire that my kids make me happy, right? Listen, this is so big, and I want you to catch this. We're going to find this throughout the next couple of weeks together. This is so important. The Bible is going to show us, parents, that our children, this is so important, that our children are not ours. Right? The Bible is going to show us that these children, that our children are entrusted to us from God, uh, that they are God's kids, that he, that he, believe it or not, that he loves them more than you could ever love them, uh, that he, he is vested in the life of your child, that he went to the cross, gave his life for the life of your child, and he has entrusted you as a parent. So our kids, listen, for those of us who follow Jesus, man, we have to understand this. Our kids are not our own. They are entrusted to us by God for a season that he's given us in his life. And so if you're, if, for those of us who follow Jesus, man, we better find out what it is that our heavenly father wants us to do with the children that he's entrusted us with, right? And so what is his goal? That's the question. What is his goal? Here it is. I'll give it to you in one sentence. I believe, according to the Bible, if I could summarize it in one sentence, this is probably what the goal would be, something like this. That the goal of parenting is all centered around this desire that I want to connect my child's heart to the heart of God. That's it. Bottom line. All these other things can, 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 are fine. They can come and go. This is the bottom line. I think the Bible's gonna show us that the real definition of parenthood, the real definition of success in parenting is that we as parents need to exhaust ourselves and we need to expend every amount of energy we have into this aim to connect my child's heart to the heart of God. In fact, what we're gonna find in today's conversation is that parenthood, according to the Bible, is actually a lot like training wheels, that God has entrusted us as parents to train our children ultimately to be prepared for a relationship with God, to connect their hearts to the heart of God. And we're gonna find that in a lot of ways that parenting is almost like a relay race, that God has entrusted us. He's put the baton of our children into our hand and he's entrusted us to run and to place them into the hand of our heavenly father, right? And so this is kind of the idea is that we are to connect the heart of our children to the heart of God. Now, some of you are like, where are you getting this from? Where are you getting this from and what does that mean? Well, that's why we gotta go to the Bible. So let's take a look together at Ephesians chapter six. We'll start off in verse one, all right? So let's look at this together. It starts off and it says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. All right, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. All right, let's just stop there. Um, now, I know what some of you might be thinking. Some of you might be thinking, wait a minute. Hey, I thought we were talking about parents right now. And we are. And you're like, well, why are we looking at the verse that's addressed to children? Right, clearly right there it says children. So why are we looking at this verse? And, and here's why, okay? Uh, most commentators will point out that the word that's used here for children uh, in the original Greek language is a word that most often is, it refers to small children, all right? So, so basically, what the Bible's saying is it's actually focusing on, in this, in this particular verse, it's focusing on children in the developmental years. All of us know that, that parenting lasts a lifetime, Right? Parenting goes on forever. Even after your kids move out of the house and they go off and they be their own, you're still a parent for the rest of your life. You're always a parent. But I think what the Bible is saying is in this particular verse, it's focusing on a very specific season in parenting. And what season is it focusing on? It's focusing on the developmental years, when the kids are under your roof. Right? And so that's kind of what it is for us. Now, why is that important? Here's why that's important. Because while this verse is directed towards children, this, parent, this, this passage is actually primarily for parents. You're like, what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. Just think about this for a second. So I got three little kids. I have three children at home, right? And so I got the, I got the seven-year-old, the six-year-old, and the one-year-old. Now, now, let me ask you a question. My one-year-old, my little princess, she's the only girl, little Gracie. She's awesome, and she's beautiful, and she's sweet, and she's mean. She'll bite you. It's awesome, right? And, uh, but but she, she's a year old, right? And so let me ask you a quick question. Is this verse for her? Yes or no? Verse for her. Yeah, she's a child, right? She's, she's a child. She needs to obey her parents. But, let me, but here's, the, here's the problem with that, okay? The problem is Gracie can't read. So, so if she's 
disobeying me and she's, you know, biting her brother or something like that. And I, what am I going to do? I'm not going to go up to her and say, now, Gracie, come here, come here. Ephesians 6, 1, come over here and read it, right, in the Greek, come read this verse. Like, she's not going to do that. She can't do that, right? She's only one year old. So, who's, so whose responsibility is it that little Gracie and my little kids understand this principle? Whose responsibility is that? It's mine as a parent, right? And so, so in other words, you could almost translate this verse this way. It could almost say this, parents, teach your children to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, Right? And that would actually be an accurate way to kind of understand this verse. In other words, I think what the Apostle Paul do, is doing here is he's helping parents know what it is that we are to teach our children. And what is it, foundationally, that the Bible says that we are to teach our children in the developmental years? Do you see what it says? I want you to notice, because this is so countercultural, here's what the Bible says. Listen, this is huge. Here's what the Bible says is foundational. As parents instruct and teach their children according to the way that God desires them to instruct and teach their children, and especially in the developmental years, the Bible says the primary focus needs to be on this. The children need to learn to obey their parents. The children need to learn to obey their parents. Now, here's the problem with that. Now, we live in a culture where this word, man, that is a, that is a difficult word. Uh, that word is prickly. That word conjures up pictures in our mind of dictatorship. It conjures up pictures in our mind of authoritarian leadership. And you just need to do what I say when I do it. Just listen to me and don't ask questions. And that's kind of the picture that we have in our mind when we think of obedience. It's a sharp, rigid term. In fact, when you go to most parenting books today, you will scarcely find this word, obey, as a principle. You'll find nurture, you'll find consensus, you'll find acceptance, which, hear me, those are all important things. But what you oftentimes not find is the word obedience. And yet the Bible seems to indicate to us, and I think this is huge, that the foundational principle that God wants us to lay in the life of our children that will ultimately cause them to connect to the heart of their heavenly father is that God wants to teach our children in the developmental years to obey their parents. In fact, the Bible doesn't just say it once, it says it twice. Colossians 3 says the exact same thing. Children, obey your parents. Exact same wording. And by the way, if that, for some of you that might rub you the wrong way, and you might be thinking, well, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. Well, if, if you don't, I want you to notice the Apostle Paul takes this argument and he tightens the screws on it by going even further and saying this. Look what he says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Look at this. For it's right. He says, this is right. In other words, he says, there, there is a moral order in the universe that God has created and that it, it shows up in the family in this way, that it is right for children to learn to be obedient to their parents. It's right. And notice what he says down here. He says, children, obey your parents for it pleases the Lord. This pleases God. There's something about this that pleases the heart of God when we teach our children to obey. There's something right about it. So he's, he's, just, he's just tightening the argument even more here. It's actually interesting. I remember when I was reading this, and the Bible says uh, that children should obey their parents because it's right. That children should obey their parents in the Lord because it pleases God. When I was reading that, it actually reminded me of a story um, that I remember hearing back when George W. Bush was president. You guys remember when W. was the president? And uh, there was a story that was circula circulating around about him. It's kind of funny. And uh, I guess he went to go visit his parents, so George Sr. and Barbara Bush, uh, down in Texas. And so they were at this ranch, I guess, and they were kind of visiting, and and allegedly, they were eating breakfast together, and, uh, and George W. Bush was sipping on some coffee, and they were kind of getting towards the end of their meal, and so he kicked up his feet on the table and kind of reclined back as he was drinking his coffee. And so the story went that Barbara Bush, George W. Bush's mother, looked at him and said, get your feet off the table. So real quick, you know, George W. Bush kind of scrambled and got his feet off the table. And then George Sr., you know, kind of looked at Barbara Bush, and he said, Barbara, for crying out loud, he's the president of the United States of America. And she said to him, she said, I don't care who he is. Even the president needs to listen to his mother, right? And, uh, and it's like, man, yeah, because isn't that, is, there's something right. There's something right about that. The Bible says there's something about that that pleases God. Now, of course, please hear me, all right? When I say obedience, I'm not talking about compliance. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about ceremonial adherence. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about dictatorship, drill sergeant. You will do what I say when I say something. I'm, I'm talking about training the heart of your child, training the heart of your child. To, to, to obey uh, quickly, completely, and joyfully. It's training their heart 
in obedience. I, I like the way uh, I, was, I was reading uh, one, um, one article about this. It was called Prepared to Launch. And the author of that article said something I thought was so helpful. He said, the point is that we want to try to teach our children in the developmental years to obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. So we want to try to teach our children this principle. We want to try to teach them to obey, to listen, all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. We want to train their hearts this way, right? To listen right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. I heard it put another way. I thought this was good. They said, we want to teach our children to listen without discussion, without delay, and without disgust. Now, by the way, real quick, when we say without discussion, that doesn't mean we don't ever explain why we're doing things. That's not what I'm saying. But I think what it is is, hey, when mom and dad or when mom or when dad asks you to do something, the, the, the thing is we want you to do it quickly, we want you to do it completely, and we want you to do it joyfully. And this is about attitude. This is about f- completing it all the way. And this right here, this is all about speed, the speed in which you do it. And, and, and I think that the Bible would look and say, yeah, this is the primary kind of thing is to teach our children to kind of obey in these ways. Here, you guys, here's why I think this is so important, especially for those of us who are parents in the developmental years. The reason I think this is so important is because our culture, let's just be honest, we got this backwards. We got this backwards. I love the way that Edward Duke of Windsor said it uh, at, when he was observing America. Here's what he said. The thing that impresses me the most about America is the way that parents obey their children. And I'll be honest, when I read that, I kind of chuckled. But then at the same time, I was like, oh, it's like, man, that's so true. Isn't that true? We live today in a very child-centric culture, very child-centric, where, the, where, where the, the whims and the desires and the priorities and the activities of the family are most often dictated by the children in the home. And that's not just true in, in the families that we see in society. It's true in many of our families. And if we're looking at your family, who is it that determines your calendar? Who is it that determines your priorities? Who is it that, who, who is it that acquiesces to the whims and the wishes of who? Oftentimes, it is the parents that are acquiescing to the children. And, it, and I think the Bible would say, no, 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 man, that's, that's wrong. That, that's the wrong order to do things. There is a right way that God wants this to be done, and that is for children to teach their children, their, their, their children parents to teach their children to obey, right? And, and right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. Now, again, like I said, I know for some of you, this conversation might seem so paradigm shifting, and you might be thinking to yourself, why is that so important? Right? Why, why, if, why is obedience so important? And here's why I think it's so important. Here's why I think this is so significant. I think the Apostle Paul actually gives us a clue in verse 2. So take a look at verse 2 with me. Here's what he says. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it will go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on this earth. All right? Now, again, in a couple of weeks, like I said, we're going to unpack what does it actually mean to honor your father and mother? What does it mean to honor your parents at every stage in life? right? Whether you're young or old or your parents are grown or your parents are deceased, what does that look like? So I'm excited about that conversation and we'll unpack this verse even more there. But I want you to see something the Apostle Paul says here because I think it's crucial to understanding his logic. So he says this, he says, uh, children, you should obey your parents. In other words, parents teach your children to obey. Why? He says, because honor your father and mother so that it will go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, you'll notice that that is in quotations. Why is that in quotations? Well, the reason it's in quotations is because the Apostle Paul is actually quoting from the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, uh, some of you might remember that the number five commandment, it's so important to God that it made the list. Number five is this commandment to honor your father and mother. And there is a promise that is attached to that commandment, that if you honor your father and mother, that it will go well with you. It will go well with you, right? Now, here's why that's significant. All right, the reason that's significant, you got to track with me on this a little bit. Commentators will point out, this is number five. If you look at the first four commandments, the first four of the Ten Commandments, you will see that all four of them are vertical commandments that are about our relationship to God. And so, for example, the first commandment, what is that? It says, you should have no other gods before me. That's commandment number one. Commandment number two, make no graven image. In the, in, don't try to put me in a box, is what he's saying, right? You have, uh, you have keep the Sabbath. All f- the first four commandments are all about our vertical relationship with God. The last five commandments are all about our horizontal relationships with each other. And so, for example, don't lie or don't steal or don't commit adultery. All of those are about how we interact with each other. And so the first four are all about the vertical relationship. The last five are all about the horizontal relationship. And smack dab in the middle is number five. 
honor your father and mother. Now, why is that important? Here's why it's important. Commentators point out the reason is because where heaven first touches earth, where the divine first, first begins to make sense in practical reality is in the parenting relationship. In other words, I'll say it this way. The first place that you get your understanding of God is not at church, and it's not through the Bible, and it's not through theology. It is through your parents. Listen, sociologists and psychologists would affirm this, that the picture that most of us have of God in our mind, his character, his love, his personality, his characteristics, that is painted to us by our parents. Sociologists will say most often it's the father, that the way that we look at our fathers tends to be the way that we tend to define our God. And so if you have a really good dad who's really nice and really loving and he's really awesome, oftentimes you have a great view of God. And if your dad is messed up and he left you or he abandoned you and he's caused harm in you, often you have a messed up and warped view of God. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because God has created this relationship to be a reflection of who he is. Parents stand in the place of God for a season for their children. What, listen, what is the number one relational designation that is given to explain God in the Bible? You know what it is? Number one, especially with Jesus. You know what it is? Father. Father. Our Father. God is sometimes in the Old Testament talked about as a mother. Do you know that? In the book of Exodus, the Bible said God is like a mother eagle who, who hovers above her baby chicks in her nest and feeds and takes care of them, as the Bible says. The Bible says in Hosea that God is like a mama bear. Someone robbed her of her cubs, and she's ready to maul, right? My, my wife always uses that. She says the mama claws are coming out, right? And, and the Bible says that's what God, God is like a father. God is like a mother. The parenting, there's a reason the Bible doesn't say God is an uncle, right? It's not like Uncle God, you know? Your Uncle God told you. It's not like Cousin God, right? My old Cousin God told me. I don't know why I always have to revert back to that voice, but I seem so appropriate. And, but it's Father. It's Father. It's Mother. Why? Here's why. Here's why. Because the place where we first get our understanding of who God is is in that relationship. Now, listen, parents, boy, if that doesn't terrify you, man, it oughta. I'll tell you, it, it, it jacks me up. I remember when my wife told me that we were first pregnant and that I was going to be a dad. I remember I was so, I mean, it was, I was so excited. I was so happy. But I also was just like so burdened because I thought, I am going to mess my child up so badly. Every child I know has daddy issues, right? And my kids aren't going to be exempt either. I'm not a perfect person. It's a heavy weight of responsibility that God has placed on us, right? And, and I think, you guys, what, what this means is, is it means that parents, we have a responsibility not only to reflect the character and the love and the heart of God to our children, but we also have the responsibility that God has entrusted us to teach them what that relationship should look like. And the foundation of that relationship is obedience. It is, it is right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. Because here, here's why that's so important. Because if you can train your child's heart to obey in that way, you are setting them up for success in their relationship with their heavenly father. Why? Because the Bible tells us that the key to finding fulfillment in this life is to obey God right away, all the way, and with a happy heart because he loves you. What does Proverbs chapter 3 say? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, it says uh, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all of your ways commit them to him and he will make your path straight. You see what the Bible says? The Bible says you want, you want an awesome life? You want fulfillment? Here it is. You learn to obey God right away, all the way with a happy heart. And if you can do that, you have everything you need to have success in your relationship with God. And I think that's why uh, the apostle Paul says this is foundational. You can train your child's heart in this. You're setting them up for success when you hand them over to your heavenly father. Now, listen, here's the thing. I know everything I said sounds super theoretical. So let me see if I can give you a couple practical examples of what that might look like. All right, so I'll give you just a couple. The first one that came to my mind was something that my wife and I do right now that was based off this principle. So my wife and I, one of the things that we've, we tell our kids, and we've said this, I don't even know how long we've said this, but we tell them this all the time. We say, uh, when do you listen to your mom and dad? So we say, when do you listen to mom and dad? And they know the answer. The answer is uh, first time every time. When do you listen to mom and dad? First time every time. Why? Because we love you. Right. When do you listen to mom and dad? First time every time. Why? Because we love you. When do you listen to mom and dad? First time every time. Why? Because we love you. And we drill that over and over again. Now, here's the thing. Do my kids listen to me the first time every time? No. No, never, right? What kid does? 
And, and this is not natural. I don't listen the first time every time to what God has to tell me to do or anyone else, right? And, and the point is, though, I want to train their heart. And so when, they're not, when they don't listen the first time every time, we have to deal with that. We have, to, we have to discipline those things in different ways to try to help them to listen the first time every time because I think that's setting them up for a good relationship with God. If they can learn to listen the first time every time to what their heavenly father has to say, well, that's gonna set them up for success in this life. And, and listen, here, here's, here's where this gets real practical, okay? Now, this is my opinion. All right, everyone clear on that? My opinion. This is not the Bible. All right, so, so don't get mad at me, or I guess get mad at me if you don't like what I have to say because it's my opinion. But I've seen parents do this thing. It's a tactic that happens sometimes, and it's this or something like this, where they'll do something like this. They'll, they'll count down from three. You guys ever see this before with kids? Maybe some of you guys do this, right? And, and so basically it goes something like this. Kids stand on a chair, colored on the wall, doing something they shouldn't be doing, right? Parent walks in the room, says, what are you doing? And they're colored on the wall. Like, get down, stop coloring on the wall. And the kid's like, no, you know, and they keep doing it. And then the parent goes, I mean it, I mean it, right? I'm going to count one, right? Two, get down. You're 17 years old. Get down, right? And <laughs> one, two, and then finally it gets to three. And then what happens at three? Well, either the kid stops or discipline happens or the count starts over again, honestly, right? That's kind of what happens. Now, I fundamentally disagree with that. Now, here's why. This is my opinion. The reason is because what are you training your child's heart? Here's what you're training, training your child's heart. You're, tra you're training delayed obedience. Basically, what you're saying is you have three seconds. You have three seconds to take me seriously. You have three seconds to enjoy the disobedience that's happening right now, and I'm going to tolerate it until I'm actually going to get involved, right? And listen, I think you guys, that, and this might sound dramatic to some of you, I think you're training them for a relationship, you're training them for a different, a, 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 a delayed obedience in their relationship with God that can be destructive. And I tell my kids this, I tell them delayed obedience is disobedience. You do it now, you do it right away, right? And that's not because I don't love you, sometimes it's because I love you. Get out of the road now. I'm not counting to three. And, and as it relates to our Heavenly Father, if I'm, if I'm training my kids to not listen in that kind of way, I'm not setting them up for success in that. I love the way John Piper said it. John Piper is a theologian, pastor out in Minnesota. He said this, this is great. And he wrote a blog. I think the blog was called Parents, Please Teach Your Children to Obey Your Parents. It was a really great blog. I encourage you to read it. Here's what he said. He said, if you tell a child to stay in bed and he gets up anyway, he's really talking about the developmental years here. He says, it's simply easier to say, go back to bed than to get up and to deal with the disobedience. Parents are tired. He says, I sympathize. For more than 40 years, I've had children under 18. That's a long time to have children under 18. A poor guy. He goes on. He says, requiring obedience takes energy, both physically and emotionally. Man, that's true. It's easy to simply let the children have their way. Isn't it easy? Oh, it's so easy just to be like, fine, fine. But look what he says. The result, uncontrollable children when it matters. They've learned how to work the angles. Mommy's powerless and daddy is a patsy. Which I think is great. I don't, I've never heard anyone use that word before. I'm going to start doing it. That homework assignment, call someone a patsy today. All right, so they can read when you're about to explode. So they defy your words just short of that. This bears sour fruit for everyone. But the work it takes to be immediately consistent with every disobedience bears sweet fruit for parents, for children, and for others. See, see I think what he's saying is so true. I think what we find is that, that when, we, when we allow when we don't teach that, that kind of obedience that's right, right away, all the way, and with a happy heart, there's kind of a low-grade frustration for everybody in the family. The kids feel it. The parents feel it. But when you enforce these things, there's a smoothness in the relationship. There's a rightness about it. And, and it leads to, he says, it leads to fruit. You see what he's saying? And listen, I think for some of you, man, you guys have been parents way longer than I've been parents, and you could speak to this with much more authority than I can. But my guess is if I was to talk to some of you who are long-term parents, you would probably validate that, man, if you, if you lay this foundation early on, man, it will, it, it will reap a harvest in the future. And if you fail to do this early on, you will be wrestling with this in the teen years and even into the adult years. And so one of the best things we can do for our children is to lay this foundation, lay the foundation of teaching them to obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart right away, all the way with a happy heart. Because if we do that, we're taking the first steps and connecting them into a relationship with their heavenly father. And that's the whole goal. The whole goal is that we eventually are gonna let them go. 
And we want to connect them into the heart of God and then allow them to have a relationship with God that kind of emulates this type of obedience. I think that this, uh, this idea of connecting our, the heart of our children to the heart of God is actually something you see not just in the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well. In fact, I'll show you one very, very famous passage. If you've been around the church for any amount of time, you've probably seen this, but I love it. It's about parenting. Again, Psalm 127. We glanced at Psalm 127 earlier in the service. It says this, is like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. I love this. I think this is the best analogy for, for, for children ever. Look what it says about children. It says that children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. What a great picture. Why is that such a great picture? Well, think about it for a minute. What do you do with an arrow? You shoot it, right? So what do you do with your kids? You shoot them. <laughs> Some of you are like, don't tempt me. Some days I want to, right? And, and no, no, but listen, I, think about an arrow for a minute, okay? I love this analogy. Think about it. Arrows are aimed. Arrows are aimed. No archer is going to go out and just haphazardly, like, like that's not going to happen. He, with, with precision, right, with precision, with focus, with small adjustments, with energy. And, man, I'm telling you, once the longer you go, once you get out in the teenage years, there's a lot of tension, right? And, and you're out here and you're aiming, and, and it takes intentionality. It takes thoughtfulness. Like, this doesn't happen haphazardly. Parenting doesn't just happen. Just coexisting and, 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 and being in the same proximity as your children doesn't mean that they're going to be aimed. And so, so the responsibility of parents is what? It's to set them in the right direction. It's to point them in the way that God wants them to go, right? So we're, we're to aim. And then check this out. I love this. Arrows are made for mission. What are arrows? They're weapons. They're weapons, which means what? It means that, man, these things are made for mission. These things are made to be, children are created for God. They're created to be in a relationship with God. They're, they're created to be connected to the mission of God. It's in the mission of God that all of us find the fulfillment that we were created to have. That, that is what we were made for. And so listen, what that means for us is, listen, parents, why did God give us our children? He didn't give us our children as accessories to our lives. He didn't give us children just so that we can enjoy them and keep them close and make sure they have grandkids and stay next to us. Like, that wasn't the purpose of it. Now, that's a wonderful thing if that happens, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is that they're to be launched into the mission that God has created them to be involved. They're God's kids. They're not ours. And the last thing, arrows are launched. The whole point of parenting is to let go. That is the whole point. The, the whole, all of parenting, all of that time and all of that work and all that energy to aim it the right way, it's all designed so that eventually you'll let go. You see, that can be really hard for some of us parents. We live in a child-centric culture. We live in a safety-conscious culture. And because of that, this is a terrifying thing. I love the way that Reggie Joyner said it. Reggie Joyner, by the way, wrote an excellent book on parenting that we have for sale in our bookstore. We would really encourage you to read that if you're a parent. It's huge. I think parents need all the help we can get. And he's got some excellent stuff. Here's what he says. We're fine if our children never climb a mountain as long as it guarantees they never get hurt. But what if your children were made for mountains? It says the ultimate mission of the family is not to protect your children from all harm, but to mobilize them for the mission of God. It is possible to hold on to our kids so tightly that we forget the ultimate goal of parenting is to let go. And so what is the picture? The picture is that, man, our heart, our heart and our hope is that we want to connect our child's heart to the heart of God. We want to launch them into a relationship with God. We want to aim towards that intention and towards that purpose. Now, some of you are like, okay, well, what does that look like then? Practically speaking, what does that look like? How do I do that when my kids are small? How do I do that when my kids are teens? How do I do that if I missed the developmental years and now I'm in the teenage years and we're fighting? What, what does that look like when my kids are grown? How does that all pan out? And listen, for that, we need a whole other conversation. And so next week, what we're going to do is I actually want to spend our entire time next week looking at verse 4, and I want to be extremely practical about what does this look like? What is it practically speaking as it relates to when our kids are small, when our kids are teens, when our kids are grown? What if I raise my kids this way, but now they're not following God anymore? What am I supposed to do then? We want to kind of cover a whole variance of different uh, kind of very, very practical questions next week. So we talk about this idea of connecting our hearts to the heart of God. The last question I would ask you, for those of us who are parents, is just simply this, just something for you to consider and to think about as we pray and as we sing here in a minute is this. Parents, where are you aiming your children? Where are you aiming them? Are you aiming them into connecting them into the heart of God? And if not, 
I would encourage you to just take some time to talk to your heavenly father and say, God, God, where am I aiming my kids and how can I, how can I be trustworthy with the investment that you've given to me? I, wanna, I want to be a good steward of the children that you've entrusted into my care. And so help me and take it to God and talk to him and interact with him about these things. And ask the band to come up and as they make their way up on the stage, I'll just close us in a word of prayer. Well, God, I want to say thank you that uh, as it relates to conversations like this with parenting and family that you have not left us in the dark. God, the truth is that many of us parents in this room, man, we are, we are under an amazing amount of stress. And there's so much, God, there's so many opinions. And there's so many blogs and there's so many books and there's so many articles and there's so many ways of people say that, man, you, you need to parent this way, you need to parent that way. Don't ever do this, always do this. And it can be confusing and it can be perplexing, and it can be exhausting. Father, I pray that before we go looking for good answers, that we would look for God's answers. Help us to look for your vision for what parenting should be and how that works. God, I pray specifically for those who are parents in this room. Father, I pray you give them grace. We need grace. We're not, we're not perfect at this stuff, God, and we're all imperfect people, and we need as much grace as you can give. Father, we pray for wisdom. Man, do we need it. Every circumstance is different. And I know there's some families where there's single moms, single parents, single dads. There's some homes where there's adopted kids. There's some homes where there's in all kinds of different relational dynamics, step parents, and it gets complicated. And for all of that, God, we need your wisdom. We need your wisdom. And Lord, I want to pray specifically that for, for us parents that we would never give up on this vision. We'd never give up on the vision to connect the heart of our child to the heart of you. Regardless if our kids are 50 years old, I pray we'd never stop praying towards that end and that our children will be connected to your heart. God, the reality is you love your kids more than we could ever love them. And I know when I think about my kids, it almost seems unbelievable because I love my kids so much. And, uh, but God, I know that you love them more than I could. I know that you made them, that they were fearfully and wonderfully made in their mother's womb, or that you have numbered their days, that you have, that you have put inside of their hearts a desire to know you and to serve you and to love you just like you've put in all of our hearts. Father, I know you're more vested in them than I ever will be, that you, you shed your blood for them. And so because of that, God, I know we can trust you. We can trust you and we can believe you. So God, just give us, give those of us who are parents grace, give us wisdom. For those of us who are children, you know, I pray that you would help us to give grace to our parents. We need to. No parent is perfect. And so Father, we love you and we ask for wisdom. Guide us in our conversation next week. We ask this in Christ's name.